Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. For today's episode comes from Ruby Receptionists. Ruby's live remote receptionists and proprietary technology are your solution to delivering excellent customer service experiences by answering live calls in English or Spanish, transferring calls, taking messages, addressing common questions, or making outbound calls for you. Most importantly, they sound like they're sitting in your office. To learn more, visit callruby.com or better yet, call us at 855 255 Ruby. My guest today is Betsy Papine. Betsy is the owner of Papine Realty in Gainesville, Florida. Papine specializes in commercial and residential sales as well as relocation, leasing, and property management. Papine's mission is improving and empowering the lives of others, one person, one family, one community at a time. Betsy and her team have won a ton of awards and distinctions, including being very involved in giving back to their community. Welcome, Betsy. Thank you, Paul. Great to be here. Well, it's a, it's wonderful to talk to you, and and when you hear about a a realty company with this sort of mission, uh, it sounds like a pretty special place. Uh, tell me a little bit about the the company today. Well, we are, like you said, a real estate sales and consulting firm. We have three offices: one in Gainesville, one in St. Augustine, and one in Orlando. We have about 60, 50 to 60 agents at any one time, and we're expanding into other parts of the state. You mentioned our mission, and it, it truly is our mission to improve and to empower the lives of others. And you know what that has meant for us throughout the years is that we are not, unlike I think a lot of sales um, professions, we're not a transactional-based business. We're very much a relationship business, and so really looking out for the best interest of our client in the long term. And I always tell agents, you know, that may, that may require us not selling them a house, um, but it's the best thing that's for them. So really looking at the relationship and wanting to build trust with them. So that's what we're all about. You know, that sounds great. But when I think about the realty business or think about buying homes and, and my experience with agents, I picture people that come and go from a cubicle that, uh, you know, try to sell homes and build relationships with their customers, not necessarily focused on building relationships internally within the organization or the firm that they work in. How have you managed to pull together? I think you have somewhere around 55 people now. How have you been able to create a unique culture in, in a business that's probably not known for that? Um, that's very true. You know, our industry is known to be very competitive internally. We've got brokerages where you wouldn't dare have a consumer file out because you're afraid that another agent's going to steal it from you. Or if one of your clients calls somebody on, at, and it's during floor time and you don't get the call, then you don't get that lead. And and we are the opposite of that. We are very much a family and we have a pretty intense interview process to make sure that we are attracting um, personality types that understand that. We don't want the person that's ultra competitive within the office. We're very competitive, you know, in our industry, but we we really look um, collaboratively inside. And so 
people look to other agents and staff um, as their colleagues and people that they can go to. And we have a variety of different things that we do to help cultivate that kind of atmosphere in our company. So talk about a few of those things. How do you create that kind of culture and how do you take people through that interview process? Sure. Okay. So the interview process has, has very much evolved and we're, we're a little different than most brokerages. Most brokerages would prefer to have a seasoned agent come in and they can start selling real estate very quickly for them. We actually don't hire the seasoned real estate professional. We we prefer to have somebody that's brand new to the industry. Not so much, maybe it's their second or third career, but they haven't sold real estate before. And we find that it's easier to train those individuals than it is to retrain people who have already been in the industry. And what we've done and learned, um, perhaps the hard way, is we really want to get to know these agents before we commit to them. And so we started offering what we call the, um, it's like a real estate, get to know your real estate agent, and it's a career night. And so we advertise this to the community four or five times a year, and it's for the public to come in and to see a short presentation by us about what it's like to really live the life of a real estate agent. We have a panel of real estate agents there to answer any questions. And then we usually get 50 to 60 people that turn out for these events. And then from there, if they're interested, we invite them to take the real estate licensing class at our office. That's just an excellent way to get to know these agents because that means they have to come into our office for two weeks. And by the end of those two weeks, we have a really good idea of which of the students in the class we feel like would make a good fit to our culture. Once those students have been identified, we invite them to sit in on one of our weekly training meetings with the new agents so that they can get a sense of who the other newer agents are in our company. And we also invite them to participate in our weekly team meetings, which is the larger company. They also go through um, an interview process with at least two of our senior members in our organization. And they also take a DISC profile. And the DISC is not, it doesn't weed people out. It just helps us understand how to work best with them and also what role with it within real estate would work best for their personality type. So those are the kinds of things we do to get them on board. So it's not just an interview or a phone interview and we're done. We don't take a lot of people. And I think that surprises some brokerages in town and also surprises agents because the the vast majority of brokerages, they don't mind taking on a new agent because it costs very little to a broker to have an agent come on board, especially as agents over the years have worked more and more remotely. So they're not even, many agents don't even require office space. And so to, to say yes to a new agent, you have the chance of them selling something for you. So a lot of times, you know, brokerages don't discriminate a lot as to who they'll take. And we kind of take the opposite approach. We'd much rather have a smaller group of agents that work really well within our organization than to have 100 or 200 agents and don't have a good um, culture within the office. Now, you guys have a mentoring program, I understand. Yes. So, okay. So once the agent comes on board, we have a two-week mentor. We have a, it's not even a mentoring program. We have a two-week onboarding program. So, and again, we learned this the hard way. This is, this is not how we started out, but over the years, we've fine-tuned what we do. And so when new agents come on board, they'll start, they can start on the first Monday of the month. So all new agents that are starting that month start on the first Monday and they go through together a two week training onboarding process. 
um, with our transaction manager. And that's been very instrumental. So they write their profiles together. They do an open, they do their first open house together. Um, they shadow at a closing, they shadow a buyer presentation, they shadow a listing presentation, and they do these activities together. And it's been very helpful because at the end of those two weeks, they graduate from that onboarding program and they feel like already they're a part of a small community within our company. Once they graduate from that program, they get assigned a mentor based on their disc and their personality profile. And the, the mentor is a more seasoned agent. And it's that's really a growth opportunity for our more established agents so that they have a mentor, they have the mentorship ability to be able to do that. That relationship goes for the next six months. And there's a variety of things that the mentor agrees to to be a part of the program. And there's a variety of things that the mentoree agrees to to be in the program. And so they're really their go-to person for those next six months. Now, our office is very open to a policy and everyone's wanting to help each other, but it's really important that they know that they have somebody that they can call at six or seven o'clock on a Saturday night when a lot of times that first deal is being written and they're going to get a response. And so that mentor is that go-to person for them for the first six months. And, and we pay that mentor to have that role for that agent. After those six months, then it's up to the new agent. If they want to continue that formal relationship, they can take on the financial responsibility of the mentor, or they may feel that they have learned enough and have done enough transactions so that they don't need that support anymore. That's an incredible program. You know, you're making me think of a friend of mine uh, who I feel has probably not been trained in a company like yours. She and I actually worked together for 25 years. She was working in my company in sales and uh, probably one of the biggest contributors to our success. And uh, she retired a few years ago and decided to get into real estate in Southern California. And it was so, it seemed so natural because of her personality being so incredibly relationship driven. Everybody just loves her that she would just jump in and be a huge success. And now she's in it for a couple of years and she's struggling. Um, and so I, uh, and part of it is just figuring out how to gain customers. So when you talked about the fact that you like to bring people in that are not necessarily trained in real estate or don't have that as their background, uh, and you obviously work incredibly hard to identify the right people, train them well, give them mentors, how do they now become successful in the marketplace when, they're, when they don't have those relationships already established? That's a great question. Um, we have a 90-day checklist, and it breaks out the first 90 days to be a successful agent. And every week, the mentor goes over what those tasks should be for that mentoree and make sure that they are on task to do that. If they follow that 90-day plan, it's hard not to be successful. I, you know, I, I tell agents, this is, it's really, it's not a rocket science business. It, there is a method to it and it works. It's just when you look at real estate and how much is transacted, 95% of real estate is sold by 5% of the agents. And I truly believe it's because the agents don't follow um, the formula. They're trying to reinvent the wheel and you don't need to. Um, but for new agents, it's it, we have kind of two different camps. We have the new agent that doesn't have a sphere of influence in the community. And we also have new agents. Not only are they new to the industry, they have no sphere of influence. They may be, we have several agents who are 18 to 21 years old and they're still in college and they're doing this on the side. They don't really have a sphere that's actively buying or selling, and they only came to our town to go to school. So they really are starting from scratch. That's the that's the hardest one. Um, and for those agents, we've actually created, um, if they need it, 
a um, kind of like a stipend that we can give them for the first six months to help them because it does take them a little bit longer to get their first couple of sales under their belt. And just having a draw helps helps them feel more confident mm-hmm. and less stressed. Um, the, the agents that have a sphere of influence in the community, usually it's a second or third career, usually don't need that kind of padding. But in the internet in 2006 changed the way real estate agents can get those leads. When I first started in real estate, it would take a really honestly a good four to six months to get your first closing check. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have the ability to buy leads. So n- most brand new agents, especially those who don't have a sphere of influence, they buy internet leads from companies like Zillow or Realtor.com. And they're buying these leads. These are these are buyers interested in real estate. They don't have, a, most of the time, they don't have a realtor selected. And they have a chance at having a conversation with them and converting them into a client. So that's the that's one way that you can get leads right off of the bat. The other way is to go after what we call the lowest hanging fruit. In our business, the lowest hanging fruit are two things. Expired listings, which means that a seller has already made the decision to use a realtor. They had their house listed, but it didn't sell. So you you have a disgruntled seller who's already made the commitment to use a realtor. So that's a way you can get um, leads. You call the expired um, listings. We get a list. Agents get a list every morning of every listing that expired the day before. So you can try to get an expired listing. Similarly, you can try to get a FISBO. They're slightly higher up on the on the tree because they haven't made the decision to use a realtor, but they've made the decision to sell their home. And then we have other sources. For example, they, Zillow has a feature called Make Me Move on their site. So you could type in, Paul, you live in Dallas, you could type in your address and you as an owner could put in the value of your home that would make you move. So that indicates a seller who may not be in the market today, but definitely is open to moving and maybe even moving sooner than they even realize if they if you brought them a, a good offer. So that's another market that you could go after if you're a new agent and don't have a sphere of influence in your community. You know, it sounds like you have really put together a unique uh, organization that's uh, been recognized with many different awards and distinctions. Where did all this come from? I mean, let me take you back to kind of where you, uh, when you grew up and, and influences from your your parents, you uh, you didn't start out in real estate. You had a long career in, in the pharmaceutical industry. But what was it kind of like growing up? When did you first sort of realize that you, you had some leadership potential? Um, that's a good question. My, my, I had good role models. My, my father is um, a leader in his field and he has such passion for what he does. And so I did grow up blessed knowing that it's possible to have a career that you truly love and are passionate about. I think there are some um, families where you don't know that that's really true. It's a myth out there that you can do what you love and make money. Um, So I think that having him as a role model and seeing the leadership that he showed in his department um, was very influential. I also had, I think, probably you know, you kind of learn what you want to do and what you don't want to do. I had my first job, I was 15 and I worked at Burger King at the corner by the mall. And I I still, to this day, remember the saying, my manager would say, you know, you lean, you clean. So always, always there's something to be, to do. 
And I love that. Um, and I, and I look for that in people today, their, their drive and their ability to always want to improve themselves. Um, but then I had the opposite experience right after college where I worked for a large consulting firm and their motto was burn and churn. And their goal was to basically burn through as many recently graduated grads from college in two years. And you, you either move up or you move out. And they did churn through a lot of people. And you could see that in their culture. They, they had very little invested in their employees. I don't remember ever doing one thing outside of business with any colleague in that company and never feeling like a part of something larger or even a sense of family at that um, consulting company. And it was, you know, and I was miserable and I'm like, this is not how I want to live the rest of my life. The other thing that was very eye opening for me at the company I worked for um, was their evaluation process. I remember we had end of year evaluations. You weren't really evaluated any time before the end of the year and being sat down and very humbled because they, they told me that I basically did everything that was required of me according to the job description that I had agreed to and everything was on time and everything was up to expectations. And for me, I thought that would be like the equivalent of an A or the highest kind of bonus that you would receive. And I remember my manager saying, so we gave you a C. And I, I was not used to getting Cs and I didn't consider myself a C employee and asked. And he said, you know, Betsy, you, you did everything we asked of you. That's average in this world. If you hit, you need to go way above and beyond to show us that you excel. And that was very eye-opening to me. I, I had always thought if you did everything that was expected of you, you were on the right track. And it it changed the way I viewed how I did my own work. And it, it did change what I expect of my um, employees, but also managing that expectation at the get-go. Hmm. That's a great lesson learned. What about the, you know, the the long career and successful career in, in pharma? And uh, uh, was that 11, 12 years that you spent in that industry? Yeah, it was. I, I graduated from business school up in Philadelphia and I stayed up in the Northeast and I worked for a couple of different large pharmaceutical companies in-house um, in their marketing departments. Loved. I had an MBA in marketing and healthcare, so it really combined both of my passions. And I, I loved what I did. I loved the marketing aspect of what I did. This was the advent of direct-to-consumer advertising and to be able to be a part of that and see some of the first commercials launched um, and be an integral part of those commercials was very exciting. What I found, though, and it always was hard for me to accept, is that I wasn't, and it was hard for me to admit this to myself, is I wasn't passionate about the products. I loved the whole marketing and marketing research aspect, but the actual products that I was responsible for, if I, act, if I was true to myself, I didn't... I didn't have what I felt like should be the appropriate passion towards those products. And I, that's not why I left the industry. I left the industry because of some life events that were unforeseen and I had to move back home and it really created an opportunity to redefine what I wanted to do in my life. And I'm so glad that that happened because I think I probably would still have been in the pharmaceutical industry, loving the, the field, but not so much the products and to be able to find a field of housing and real estate where I love both the marketing aspects of it and the product has been such a blessing for me. Are those life events things that you can talk about? Yeah, I went through, you know, I, I, I was in, um, in the Northeast in the pharmaceutical industry and 
suddenly, um, found myself suddenly single. I, I had a one and two year old daughter at the time and faced a divorce that I wasn't expecting. And it was a very difficult time. I had, you know, I had been the breadwinner of the family and to uproot the family and move back home to where I was raised, um, was very scary, uh, because I knew there wasn't a pharmaceutical industry in my hometown Mm -hmm. and I wasn't sure, uh, what I was going to do. I really, um, never been as scared as I was at that time. Um, but we did feel that my hometown would be the best place to raise my children because both sides of both families were here and extended families were here. And this was the Gainesville, you know, Mm -hmm. gathering place for our family. And so we felt that the kids being one and two, it would really be the best thing for them. And looking back in hindsight, it was the best thing for me too, um, for my career, just because I found something that I'm so passionate about. But we had actually talked when we were married about moving back to, to, to our hometown and never could figure out what we would do to survive, um, in terms of a job. And it's amazing how things work out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, obviously that brought great opportunity for you. How old are your kids today? Oh, they're 18 and 19. Oh, wow. Uh, a whole other, uh, period that I'm sure is uh, filled with life events, (laughs) managing the teenagers. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that, that got you back, uh, home and, and then you, you jump into this new industry. And, and I think that's really important, this understanding that, uh, you can, you have to not only love, um, uh, the field, but love the product. Uh, uh, now you talked about the commercials, uh, those early commercials as direct to consumer came about in pharma. Are you responsible for all those long things we're hearing at the end of the commercial about all the bad things that, uh, every medication can do for us or that's just, well, that's, the FDA. that's just the regulatory. FDA yeah. Um, so, uh, can you think of a, maybe a, an unexpected learning from an unexpected source somewhere along the way? Yeah. Um, so I started my real estate career and it was all very haphazard. I knew I, I, I knew I wanted to try it. I gave myself two years. I had enough savings. I knew that if I just, you know, lived frugally and this went, this was a bust, I, I could go back and work at a hospital in their marketing department. That was kind of my plan B. Um, but I loved it from day one. I was surprised at how much I loved it, went out on my own and just started growing the company organically. People just, at, other agents asked if they could join me. And I said, sure. And I really wasn't, I wasn't really thinking about any building anything big. Um, but I had gotten to the point where I had too much business that I could take on myself. So I, I hired an admin and a marketing person to support the company. And I had a couple of agents and I hadn't thought a lot about the culture. Honestly, it wasn't on my radar at all, because I, again, I wasn't even thinking about building a company. I had some agents that wanted to hang their shingle with me in our business. They're independent contractors, a 1099. So really not my employees with the exception of the admin and the marketing person and, um, had not gone on a vacation for quite some time and really felt like I needed it, but we were slammed. And I I just forced myself to book a cruise and for my my two daughters and I, and this was at a time when getting internet on a cruise was very difficult, which was why I tried, which is why I chose the cruise because (laughs) I truly felt like I needed to, to, uh, disconnect. And it was probably a day or two before my cruise. Um, my admin who had been with me, um, almost since day one, since I'd been out on my own, 
and she'd actually, she and I had actually worked for, together at another company, um, quit or gave her resignation and gave me a two week notice, uh, but was going to one of my biggest competitors. And I was stunned, shocked, um, hurt, um, spent the cruise reading books on culture because I asked her why. And, um, she said that she didn't feel, well, she didn't say we didn't, we weren't a family. She said she was going to what she felt was more of a family oriented, um, company and had opportunities for growth, which I hadn't really, I mean, if I'm honest, I hadn't thought about growth opportunities for her. Um, so opportunities to volunteer and give back to the community, which, which I had always been doing, but I, I was raised and my work experiences prior had always siloed the personal life with the professional life. So it had never dawned on me to merge volunteering and giving back in my, my professional life. And so I spent that cruise reading books on culture and figuring out how I could, I couldn't fix what happened, but I could definitely fix things moving forward. And so that was definitely a totally unexpected event that um, I learned from. Yeah. If you think about the lessons that we learned, um, what you have done is that you've turned all those into opportunities and, and the idea that culture and, and even what makes a great culture didn't necessarily come naturally to you. Not that you didn't believe in them. It just wasn't part of your experience because of the other places that you had worked, like you said, where kind of work and personal life was completely separate. Um, that, that her leaving, um, opened your eyes. You obviously spent, uh, that, uh, I hope you had some fun on that cruise as well, but, um, <laughs> but you, you did, you know, that was kind of life changing for you. Um, as you as you fast forward now to, to growing this company, uh, that, that clearly is very special and in what you do and how you treat people, uh, what would you say is, is, uh, one of your current, re- uh, big challenges? My current, personally, my, my biggest challenge right now, we have offices in St. Augustine and Orlando, and we're about to open one in Ocala and to be able to transfer the culture that we have in Gainesville to those other locations has been a challenge. Um, we opened St. Augustine about two years ago and the first year culturally was rough. Uh, we, we didn't have anybody, ideally you want to take somebody that's been raised in your culture to start the expansion, but we didn't have somebody that was wanting to, that wanted to go to St. Augustine. And so we hired externally and that's not the optimal in Gainesville. We only hire entry-level positions and everybody else gets moved up. we always promote from within and that's worked out very well for us. But in St. Augustine, I didn't have that luxury. And so it was, it was rough and it was in no, no fault of the person we brought on board. It was just, that person hadn't been raised in our culture. And so they were operating more from what they knew and, and experienced. And so we went through a couple of iterations and we were very fortunate that we found somebody who actually used to work in our town and knew our culture and had gone over there. And we were able to bring them in as a manager who's now running that office. And that's made a world of difference. But to be able to transfer the culture and to make sure that it um, it stays coherent the way we want it has been a challenge. So that's one challenge. The other challenge in growing is that 
I'm physically not in the home office as much and making sure that I am still accessible to everybody. That's very important to me. And that can easily get lost if you're not physically there all the time. And just keeping that on my radar screen has been um, somewhat of a challenge. Oh, yeah. It is hard to scale the culture, especially when you're in different locations. And as you said, the our businesses are a direct reflection of our leader and uh, you can only be in one place. And so to how to sort of duplicate not just you, but the methods in other locations uh, is can be humbling. What What would you say is kind of the hardest decisions you've had to make as a leader so far? Oh, the biggest ones for me are always when we have to rehome somebody. Um, you know, I, I, we try very hard to make sure that the person is a right fit when they come on board. But when we recognize that they're not a right fit um, and have to rehome them, that's, that's always difficult for me. Just, um, just from a personal perspective, it's, it's not what we want to do. We want to see them succeed. We just understand that, um, perhaps their values don't align with ours at, at this moment. And it's not a good fit. We try to avoid that, but you know, we're not successful a hundred percent of the time. And so, um, that's probably the biggest thing for me. Yeah. A lot of people would think that our biggest challenges in, in business have to do with, you know, our strategy or our product or our service. And they really always come back to people and, uh, and making those tough decisions at some point. And especially when you work so hard up front to get the right people. And sometimes okay. we have a tendency to start out by, pointing the fingers at the people we hired instead of looking in the mirror and realizing, well, that, that was our fault. Um, uh, and, and, uh, what, what can we learn from that as well? Um, so as you look at your own leadership journey, uh, is there an area that you feel like you still would like to improve and grow? I think, yes. Um, the one thing I feel that, and it's, you know, it's all, it's on my ongoing list of, of things to improve is accountability having a system for it. You know, the, I love the whole 4DX model where you have leading and lagging, lagging indicators. And I think sometimes we implement the programs, but then it's not followed through on. So I, I think just accountability in general, you know, this is an industry again, where I alluded to at the beginning where brokerages are fine with, you know, agents that sell one or two or three homes a year. Well, our company is really not geared to attract those agents. We're really looking for that top 5% that's selling 95% of the real estate. And while we communicate that over and over and we have um, tracking systems, being more clear on the consequences of not reaching certain milestones and making sure that the programs are in place and are consistent in monitoring as well as trying to enhance what's not working to make sure that they hit those milestones is what I need to improve on. You know, a lot of people think that in companies with cultures like yours, where you invest so much in finding the right people, keeping them happy, engaging them, uh, building a great culture that that can't exist with uh, great accountability. And, and that's really not true. Uh, we found the same thing in, in my healthcare company over the years as we built this family atmosphere and 
that uh, that was the one thing we were we were missing was a real sense of accountability and we had to actually create a new core value around it and a whole program around it and it started with me and and this leadership team to really build that in over a number of years but i i absolutely believe they can coexist and and uh, it creates even greater respect for your leadership when you have a system of, of accountability in place so um uh, i i'm sure you'll you'll succeed in that area just like you have in all the others and Betsy, you've you've had an incredible career, and I, I know there's lots more to to come. Um, and there's been a lot of changes in your career um, as you think about young people that are that you talk to or you have the opportunity to mentor. Um, what kind of advice would you give uh, a young person that's looking to maybe get into business, whether it's real estate or not? I always encourage the younger agents and and people outside my industry who approach me get yourself mentors, um, mentors in every area of your life. Career is just one of them, but any area that you want to improve on, whether it be health, your health life, your spiritual life, your financial health, uh, your career, look for a mentor. That's a couple steps ahead of you that will agree to a formal mentorship program. Um, I think that's invaluable when you can see somebody ahead of you and understand what they did to get there. It makes the process that much easier. Some people go the coaching route too, which I do have a professional coach and I wish I had gotten a coach earlier. That's been, um, a great enhancement to the way I, the way to how I look at things and also just to be able to bounce ideas off of, and then read incessantly. Um, there's so many great authors out there teaching us wonderful things inside and outside of our industry that we can apply to our own companies. So always have a book on your nightstand. That's great. Both of those are really uh, great pieces of advice. And uh, you remind me of a story uh, where with mentors that I chose over the years. And it took me a long time to read my first business book or even uh, step outside and ask people uh, for their mentorship. And, and I realized that just about any person in business with any level of experience is more than happy to share and give back. And uh, I had a about a five, six-year formal a mentoring relationship with the gentleman that's uh, currently the governor of Florida. So uh, he, you know, he was in the healthcare industry for many years. Uh, Rick was, and and uh, um, he he gave me a big opportunity in our business, and we became friends. and And uh, he became a really important mentor of mine, and and really an inspiration. Uh, but I found that that across the board, people are willing to share their experiences. And one thing that Rick told me. I remember when we started this formal relationship and we would meet every month, he said, look, I'm going to tell you exactly what I think about what's going on, but I always want you to go with your gut. Don't ever feel like you have to uh, do what I say or, or, or what I feel. It's ultimately up to you. And that was really great because a lot of time I found that mentors and coaches are really sounding boards and we kind of come back to with what's in our, our gut. But um, the the positive part about that is that, um, like you, you know, you came out of the corporate world. It's possible to jump into business if you're willing to learn, if you're willing to uh, pick up a book, talk to other people, and listen and learn. You can definitely build a, a wonderful business. And um, I'm uh, I'm so happy to talk to someone like you who has taken this industry that's really not known for these kinds of cultures and you have realized the value uh, of doing that and building a really special place. So um, as we kind of wrap up here, Betsy, I want to run these uh, 
five quick hit questions by you, like the association game. Maybe just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind that will help others. Uh, who's a, a leader that you look up to? Well, I'm old school. Uh, I'd say Warren Buffett and Billy Graham. Uh, uh, we just lost Billy. Yeah. Um, um, how about a great book with all the ones you've read that's influenced your leadership style? That's a hard one. Um, probably five dysfunctions of a team. Yeah. Yeah. Lencioni, that's a great one. A real standard. Uh, what's your all time favorite movie? That's an easy one. Christmas vacation. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Uh, how about the only movie I owned when I was a kid? Is that right? How about your favorite TV series to binge watch? I actually do not watch television. I have no idea. Oh, okay. I don't watch TV. <laughs> and then uh, how about something, lastly, about you that people don't know? Most people don't know that I have an identical twin sister. Really? And where I do. where is she? Uh, she's in Charlotte, North Carolina. And what does she do? She is a physician by training, uh, but she is at home raising her three children right now. Oh, wow. All right. Well, uh, you know, it's been great to have you on. Let me Let me run through some of the things I heard, lessons that I learned just from talking to you today, Betsy, um, that really all good things come from lessons learned the hard way, right? People sometimes think, you know, we get into business and, and we just know what we're doing. The fact is we don't really know what we're doing and they, and, and the good things all come from making mistakes along the way. Um, the importance of hiring slow and, and mentoring, um, especially in your business where you said um, the barrier to entry to hiring another agent is fairly low. The cost is fairly low. You can throw people on, give them a cubicle and a, a phone and off they go. But you decided to yeah. go the other route to really uh, hire special people, not necessarily with, with uh, experience. You immediately place them with a mentor for six months. You give them this 90-day plan and, and you really increase the um, chances of success both for them and for for the organization um, that you can still do what you love and make money right yeah. uh, people don't people don't have to suffer uh, I love what you learned from Burger King and the funny thing is I just had someone else on my podcast a couple of weeks ago and she worked at Burger King too so um, <laughs> so we're gonna we have to shout out to Burger King for the these early life lessons that they give us. Uh, oh, yeah. you lean, you clean. I love that, which is much, much better than burn and turn. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, in the pharma industry and, and, you know, if your life hadn't taken a change, maybe you'd still be in it, but you realize then that you were passionate about the work, not passionate about the product and, and really to be satisfied, you deserve to have both, um, you know, life events bring opportunities and, uh, you know, stuff happens to all of us and some by design, some by surprise. And the fact that, um, your marriage ended and, and, uh, and you went back home, but you took that as an opportunity to change your life and look what's happened, uh, in a very positive way. Uh, culture doesn't always come naturally. Uh, it, it wasn't something that you maybe learned in your other jobs or even, a uh, witnessed um, in terms of how those companies were run, like you said, they were very siloed, that it literally took your assistant leaving and going somewhere that uh, you said, wow, maybe there are things that I'm missing. And you, and you did them um, in, as a way to change yourself, change the way you lead, change the kind of organization that, that you would, uh, that you built. Um, the importance of 
being conscious of scaling your culture as you grow. We all want to grow our businesses. And whether we're in one location or multiple locations, that's one of the biggest questions I always get is, well, how do you uh, uh, create and scale a culture that grows with the business? And to me, the answer is really uh, around process. And some say, well, say it, culture is not really a process. Well, I said, it absolutely is. And it's got to be this same respect we give to that process that we give to any other process in our business. We have to institutionalize the culture, and that gives it at least a better chance of replicating in those other uh, in those er- the areas or those other locations. And then the last thing was just so simple, which is the, the advice you gave. Uh, get a mentor in any part of your life, uh, personal, professional. I don't think there's really a, a line anymore. Uh, I think it's just life. And, and there's lots of people that are willing to help you there and just to pick up a book and read. Uh, I, re- I remember somewhere there's hundreds of thousands of business books alone that are published every year. And uh, that's why I asked that question on the podcast, because there are wonderful books out there. Talk to your friends. They'll give you wonderful uh, resources to learn uh, or listen to others and, and learn from them. So, um, Betsy, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Continued success. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thanks, Paul. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. Until next time.